Hi there. Welcome to season four of Meet Bridget. We're going to get right into another great episode, but first I have to make sure our amazing podcast listeners, that's you, have the inside scoop. After three incredible, successful seasons interviewing women about their teen foundations, we are bringing all we have learned to our community in coaching form. Go to meetbridget.com coaching to sign up for our latest coaching program ASAP. Hot tip, it makes a great gift for a bestie, daughter, coworker, you name it. And make sure you sign up for our newsletter on meetbridget.com. The link's in our Insta bio too, because we drop special deals and offerings for our newsletter friends. Thank you so much again for listening. We love you so much. Enjoy. What we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. I kind of set my sights in terms of like a career at a very young age. I found a passion that I really loved and did that at every opportunity that I could. Welcome back to Meet Bridget, a show that sheds light on the often untold teenage and young adult stories of successful women from all types of backgrounds and in all sorts of careers. This show is an extension of Bridget, a confidence coaching service for young women. I'm Asha Gabriel, and I co-host this show alongside my best friend and Bridget COO, Kashia Rosenberg. I'm so excited to kick off season four, yes, four, oh my gosh, of the show, interviewing my dear friend, Caitlin Carey. Caitlin is a vice president of sales at Locala, and leading omnichannel drive to commerce media platform delivering hyperlocal advertising and insights at scale. Don't worry, she's going to explain to us what that means. And Caitlin has over 15 years of 360-degree industry experience within sales, client, agency, and strategy. Caitlin's a former New Yorker living that transplant life in Orange County, California. She's a working mom juggling her international travel schedule alongside preschool pickup. She has navigated some of the most notoriously cutthroat industries, including high-end New York fashion, advertising, and tech sales. Today, she's a mom, a wife, a sister, a daughter, and she leads a predominantly female team powering the ad campaigns behind some of the world's largest brands. Caitlin is an advocate for empowering women both in the workplace and in life. If you've listened to our season three closer interview of Alexandra Spitz, You've learned about the new mom school program here in Orange County and now nationally. And it's a sanctuary for new mothers in one of the most vulnerable and taxing moments that life has to offer. And this is where Caitlin and I met. Our daughters were born within days of each other. I vividly remember being so relieved to see Caitlin in a breastfeeding workshop, knowing that I wasn't the only blurry-eyed mama struggling with what I thought would be totally easy and natural. Uh, We connected right away, and so did our little girls. And I'm so thrilled to have her on today. So welcome, Caitlin, to Meet Bridget. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I remember one of our first mom walks. I think you were telling me about Bridget, and I just felt like it was such an inspiring mission that you guys are starting and, you know, turning it into a podcast. So I'm very um, honored to have me on to talk more. I love it. I mean, we've talked a little bit about your background and everything. I'm excited to share it with our audience. So we always like to jump in and paint the picture of what you're like as a very little girl. You are the youngest of 
three girls. So um, in the spirit of sisterhood, I'd love to dive right into that. Like being the youngest, um, what was what was it like growing up for you? Yeah. So um, I'm the youngest of three. I have two older sisters that are five and eight years older than I am. So, you know, being so much younger, um, especially for my eight-year-old uh, older sister, I was kind of like their play doll growing up, I think, you know? So for me, sisterhood is phenomenal. But when you're so much younger, I think it's definitely harder to connect, especially when you're so young, because my oldest sister was going off to college when I was nine. So, you know, for a lot of my life, I kind of felt as if I was an only child in my more like teenage years, for instance. But I think it also caused me to grow up a little bit faster, seeing that they were so much older than me. I have a very vivid memory of sneak, not sneaking in, but going into my sister's room and she was watching 902 and O, you know, and I sat there reading a Cosmopolitan magazine as these, you know, kind of more mature topics were coming up. So, um, you know, sisterhood is obviously great and we've become much more closer now that we're older and that the age gap has, has kind of dissipated a bit. It's interesting to hear because I have, I have an older sister that's two years older than me. And I often felt like we were so close in age that it was like, people couldn't not compare us. Like we were so close that it's like, we're just together everywhere. So it was that element of like comparison and competition was always, it was always there. How would you mm-hmm. say having a bigger gap with your sisters? Like, was there that, you know, when you were looking at them, did you feel similar to them, different to them? Did you feel like people were comparing the three of you? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, seeing my sister so much older than me and seeing their accomplishments, you know, when you're only, you know, nine or 12 years old, you just don't have that much to have your mom or dad brag about at that time, you know? So while my sisters were, you know, accomplishing so much, I kind of felt the need to, um, you know, compete against them. And I think that led for my own internal struggle of trying to compete against them as well. You know, having, three girls, um, all somewhat very similar to one another, I think too, just breeds competition, you know, more so I think for me and my middle sister, we're very similar in terms of, you know, um, our social background, our, um, the sports that we played. And, you know, I think there was always kind of a little bit of that competitiveness, you know, for me, I wanted to be so much like them that I tried to follow in their footsteps for sure. Um, I even went to the same college as my middle sister, for instance, and I played soccer. And I think I just idolized them so much. But at the same time, I think that there was a piece of competition, you know, whether it be for, you know, my parents' affection or just kind of around living up to their shadow. You know, I was always kind of seen as mini me. She and my sister, um, my middle sister, she kind of did everything four years before me. And then there was a gap. And then I entered into high school or into middle school. And so everyone kind of knew her and she was, she's a, a phenomenal woman. She is so smart, so athletic. So, you know, such a big personality. And I think, you know, she wasn't somebody who was a wallflower. So everyone kind of knew who she was. So to a degree, it was great because I was coming up with a great reputation of being, you know, the younger Carrie sister. But I think at the same time, it also led to an extra eye on me about how is she going to compare? Is she going to be as athletic? Is she going to be as outgoing um, as, you know, social and popular and all of that? So I definitely think, you know, it put a little bit of more of the limelight on me that I felt the need to, to compete for sure. Yeah, I think that as a younger sister, it's an interesting dynamic because I think also older sisters, Kashia, my co-host, is an older sister and she's taught me a lot about like kind of the experience of being an older sister and the pressures of kind of paving the way and also wanting to like guide your siblings. 
and all of that. I feel like as a younger sister, I can relate to you in that, like, I vividly remember my sister and I, she was two years older than me. So we were in high school at the same time. But like when I entered high school, it was great because it was like, oh, everybody already knows kind of who I am. Like all her friends called me little Lannon, you know, so all of that was cool in a way. But I feel like we kind of went through these phases of like when we were young, we were similar. We liked similar things. We looked pretty similar. You know, we had a very similar upbringing. So it's like, yeah, duh, you're going to be alike in some ways. But I remember when we were younger, we butted heads about like those similarities so much. Mm -hmm. And it was like, no, like you bought the same jacket I did. And that would cause us like blow up fight. (laughs) And then I feel like as we got kind of a little bit older, then it like the conflict became like, oh, wait, like, why are you doing things differently than me? And like getting uncomfortable with our differences. And now I feel like, I don't know if it's because we've kind of both entered motherhood. I feel like it's like, oh, wow, the similarities we have are really cool and like special because no one else is as similar to us in the entire world. And the differences we have are okay, you know, but it's taken right. that whole arc to like be okay with the sister life. And you have two girls and I have a daughter as well. So I feel like, you know, having, you know, we don't have a, a second sibling yet, you know, but I think that they're, I always look at like your girls, for instance, and I, I'm so excited. I'm sure you, just as you are for, you know, when I see my friends have two girls or sisters, because I think it is such a special bond. It just, in those growing up years, it can definitely take a while to figure out your, your, your relationship, you know? And I think especially when you're younger and trying to figure out yourself as well, it definitely is more of a struggle, but I definitely think that because my sisters are so much older than me, it was also, I longed for more of that female connection, kind of more my own age. And so I think I took more of like sisterhood in some of my friendships and my female friendships. So, you know, that to me, I feel like was always very important. And I, I definitely saw, you know, the value of, of relationships. You know, my mom was so social. She still is to this day, you know, talk to anyone in the grocery store. And I think that, you know, she always made it very important to have, you know, friends around us. We were always the house that people would go to. And so for me, I think I kind of latched on more to like my female girlfriends because of that you know, because I wasn't as close. And I think seeing my two older sisters be so much closer just because they're, you know, they went to high school together and they went to college at the same time. So I kind of longed for that sisterhood, um, which then put me more into having the female relationships in my life. Totally. So your mom, you've mentioned that your mom was a stay-at-home mom and a preschool teacher. Was that after you guys were kind of grown? What was that like? What was the dynamic with your parents? And how did that kind of impact your childhood? Yeah. So um, my mother was a stay-at-home mom. She's the salt of the earth. She was definitely made to be a mother, um, you know, and I and I value her so much. You know, even to this day, her as a grandmother is extremely, extremely helpful. And it makes me appreciate her, I think, so much more. She was such a mother that once we left the house, she became a preschool teacher. So I think it's just in her nature to be so nurturing. My dad was, uh, you know, he's from a very small town in Minnesota. He grew up on a dairy farm, one room schoolhouse. It's very much, you know, kind of joke when parents say like, I walked up hill both ways. Like, I definitely think that was probably true in my dad's scenario. Um, And so, you know, he was the oldest of five. He had a huge family and he kind of made himself into, you know, a, a, a very successful businessman. And he had that work ethic, I think, from being, you know, raised in such a, 
in such a way of, you know, hardworking, would wake up at 4am, you know, wouldn't go to sleep until, you know, um, definitely far after the sun came, you know, down. And so he built his own business kind of from scratch. He was a business owner and, um, you know, having both that, you know, seeing my dad and owning his own business and being such an entrepreneur and he traveled so, so much. And then, you know, having, seeing that was, I definitely think helped me propel into having the work ethic that I do kind of having that mentality of you just kind of have to get it done. There are no excuses. Um, but he placed such an importance on both work ethic and education and living the life that you want to live will come as long as you find what you love to do. And I think that's what he would always instill is, you know, find something that you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. Like that was very much true, you know? And so because he was from Minnesota and the Midwest, he definitely instilled more of the Midwestern values in us as well. And I think, you know, my mom is from, um, from Buffalo and we moved to, you know, out just outside of New York city into New Jersey. So very different lifestyles than what they were used to growing up. So, you know, having that, Midwestern kind of value and roots, I feel like really grounded me in a place that, um, not to say doesn't have values by any means, because, you know, it definitely does. But I think that it definitely has helped me throughout my life kind of keep grounded. Totally. When did you guys move to New Jersey? Uh, my parents lived there when they had my older sisters. They moved away. And then when I was three, we moved back. So I grew up in New Jersey for, you know, the majority of my life. And we lived in northern New, Jer New Jersey in um, the tri-state area. So if you're unfamiliar with the tri-state, it's essentially, you know, New York, Connecticut and New Jersey just outside of Manhattan. I lived about 60 minutes outside of, of New York City. That's so cool. And to be able to kind of have both of those influences. My dad's from the Midwest, too. And I definitely I know what you mean when you talk about that kind of just. I don't even know how to explain it. Like it's like a Midwestern. <laughs> I, I feel like wholesome isn't the right word, but there's just something like I, you walk, my dad's from Chicago and it's like, you walk around mm -hmm. in Chicago and like people are in a rush. They're in it. They're in a big city and stuff, but like, they're just a little bit like friendlier, you, you know, you ask someone yeah. for protection <laughs> and like, they're probably going to try to help you, you know, um, right. in the big city, it's maybe not quite the same, but at the same time to be able to experience the, you know, just the culture and the global feel of a city like New York from the time you're a child and being kind of right outside it. Did you guys move for your dad's business that was growing at the time? Yeah. So he, um, he didn't start his company until he went till we moved to New Jersey. So when I was a lot younger, he was traveling way more, um, even when I was, you know, growing up and a kid, you know, so for when my sisters were young, he was traveling probably two weeks out of every single month. So my mom really, you know, was kind of holding a, the fort down by herself, but he was building kind of a business. And, you know, now looking back and being in a career myself, you know, he's just, what he's built is so, um, is so amazing to me because I see it from more of a corporate perspective. And, you know, so he then started his own company um, when we moved to New Jersey, when maybe I was about seven um, and it was established in Japan. So he was traveling to Japan about, you know, every month or so, which when you think about how long a flight to Japan is from New York City is, <laughs> is pretty incredible. You know, it was before the days of Zoom, um, you know, and, and so he, you know, would travel a lot, um, even, you know, even when I was younger too. What kind of business was it? 
Um, so he had an uh, international telecommunications company. So, you know, he was traveling to Japan, the Middle East, Europe. So, you know, if you kind of ask me what he did, I can probably give you like the little snippets pieces of it. But um, yeah, he, uh, he had his own international telecommunications company. So once you moved to New Jersey, um, did you feel immediately like at home in your surroundings in elementary school? What were you what were you like in like elementary, middle, you know, those kind of young childhood years? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, I had a very wholesome upbringing when I think about it in my younger years, you know, I think because living in just outside of of New York, you know, I, I lived in a very um, upper to middle upper class area. And I think when my parents first moved there, it was definitely more wholesome, if that makes sense. You know, it was farms and um, horses, you know, and there was a lot of, you know, families that had kind of moved away, you know, and, and there was a lot more space. And when I was growing up, you know, we saw the town kind of shift. We saw a lot more, you know, kind of McMansions built come in and just the, the type of people that were moving and were changing and not to say necessarily bad. It was just that the, that the values I think were a little bit more different than what my parents were kind of, you know, set out to establish as our upbringing. And so, you know, it was a lot different than I think what my parents originally intended. And so because of that, you know, I think it was a little bit more difficult for my dad and my mom to kind of understand me more so than when my sisters were growing up in that same town, which was kind of unique. Um, so for me, you know, I was very, I was very social. I was very active. I loved, you know, sports, but I also, you know, counterbalanced that with, with fashion, for instance, like I absolutely loved art. I loved, I read Vogue when I was seven. And so that for me, I felt like kind of was just a little bit different than the average kid. You know, I think for me, I kind of set my sights in terms of like a career at a very young age. I found a passion that I really loved and did that at every opportunity that I could. And so for me, I felt like I kind of felt always a little bit different in that regard, you know, but I think for me, I think my dad kind of also saw that as, you know, more, oh, it's just materialistic, you know, instead of seeing that as more, oh, this is like a passion of mine. So that I felt like was a little bit, you know, different and unique, but I ended up making a, you know, start of my career out of it. So it definitely led to something. I kind of turned that idea from him that was, okay, if you have a, a passion about something, you'll never work a day in your life. And I definitely started, you know, my career through, through that, which was great. Totally. And I think that, I mean, that's such wisdom for him to instill in you. And I obviously am like a big fan of that whole idea and concept. I remember kind of thinking that when I was young, but also not really truly knowing that it's like, no, if you like something, there probably is some kind of career in and around it if you want to explore it, including in you know fashion, like you started with. Our whole mission at Bridget is really to like make real as many pathways as possible. So a young woman or older woman making a second act you know, could really connect with like, oh, this is the, the real type of woman that can go into this job or she tried this one, this one and this one. And now she's in this career just to yeah. really illuminate how many different careers there are out there and that a career can take all sorts of different curves and turns. So I love to hear about you, you know, starting your career in something that you're just really interested in. You also have mentioned to me that your dad pointed out that you were like a natural sales person. 
from a young age. Can you kind of describe that and what part of your personality um, he sort of connected to that? Yeah. So when I was seven, for instance, I wanted a trampoline and I wrote, you know, a thousand times over, like, please can I have a trampoline? Please can I have a trampoline? I think I just left it on his desk one day, you know, and I think for, for me, I, I feel like, you know, I never took no for an answer. And I feel like I still don't, like if there is something out there that I want, or if I'm getting no from either, you know, a, a client or a job or I'll, you know, anything in life, I feel like I still try and go after it. And I think he, he was in sales and he led a huge sales team for a very long time. So it was either being, you know, a seller or a lawyer. <laughs> I feel like I, my two paths that probably, you know, law probably would have been my second career if I didn't end up where I am now, very different start from my fashion career. But um, yeah, I think, you know, for me, I was always very driven very competitive. And so I think that he kind of saw some of those traits in me probably because he did run a sales team for so long that he definitely saw, saw those things that if I wanted something, I, you know, kind of talked my way into it or found the way around it to get that. And I think that was something that he saw in me and that I still feel in myself, you know, is, was very unique for that age, for instance, you know, trying to find the way to get it. Absolutely. I love you describing that because it's definitely something that I have observed in you. You are a very, you know, you're focused. Like if you set your sights on something, you find a way and you figure it out and you're not really shaken by having to take turns or do it a different way or figure out a new solution. I'd love to dive into more of like, so you were, you were really into fashion. You were starting to think you might want to start your career that way. Obviously, you had access to New York City and were influenced a little bit by the change in your um, your neighborhood at the time and kind of what was going on. So uh, there's probably a lot of amazing aspects of living near a big city like New York. But did it also affect you in other ways? I know you were saying that with your bigger sisters, you were already kind of growing up quickly. Like how, how was high school for you? Yeah. So, you know, I think living near living near New York City was definitely, you know, I, I didn't fully appreciate it, I don't think, until much later in life. You know, for me growing up and having that be my exposure to a city, I, I distinctly remember going to Boston where my sister went to college and asking my mom, well, where's the city? And she was like, you are in it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> to me as a kid, you know, I just thought that that all cities were like New York. And so to kind of have that moment of that aha moment of like, oh, wow, this is kind of a unique situation of where I live and the things that I am able to access, you know, are both good and, but they could also, you know, in other ways be good. I'm sure, you know, I found them very fun when I was 16 years old, but looking back on it and having a kid of my own now, I think it led to a lot of access to things that I think were um, made me grow up a lot faster. You know, I mean, we would be 15 years old going into New York City and, you know, getting fake IDs or going to bars that were accepting your library card, essentially, just to, you know, shoo the cops away. So, um, you know, seeing all of that, you know, you get diversity in New York City, which is amazing. And I think there's a just a there's an energy that is just unreplaceable, which is so imperative, I think, for young kids to see the amount of diversity within the world and not live in necessarily this whole bubble, you know. Um, but at the same time, it can also have the the opposite effect. 
I think I was exposed to a lot more things growing up that not the average teenager was or necessarily should be. You know, I think I started drinking a lot earlier than most kids probably. You know, I was going to clubs when I was still in high school. You know, I was dressing a certain way because we wanted to seem older. And I think, you know, we were living definitely in the the phase of the the Nikki and Paris Hilton and idolizing that socialite in New York City and and kind of looking at those idols to per se for, you know, um, probably the wrong reasons. But New York City at the same time, it opened up a lot of doors. And I think that the access that I had to both internships or jobs, you know, was extremely beneficial to live so close to that access, you know, in the long run. But it definitely, um, you know, made for an interesting, an interesting high school experience as well. I know. I feel like it dates us a little bit, but I'm, I vividly remember, I mean, when we were in high school, it was like, it was before Instagram, you know, um, but we had Thank our God. own, it was almost, <laughs> uh, but I feel like there was sort of this vacuum of like what pop culture was. Like it was such like a, a little sphere and it was projected to us in a very like directed way with the magazines and all the editing and um, I just remember looking at like Teen Vogue. It was also the era of like the Kate Moss, like super skinny models and everything. And I just remember kind of, you know, I grew up in a small town, so it was almost like the opposite. But we were all looking at the same stuff, you know, and feeling the pressures of being a kid in high school means that like things aren't done blossoming yet, <laughs> you know, and like the world, mm-hmm. you're going to learn a lot more um, and your world's about to get a lot bigger. So I think that... um you regardless of era or who's in vogue at the time, you know, those pressures during that time can be so much, you know, and make your world feel so small and focused on having to look a certain way or especially with like having big sisters or friend groups, you know. Yeah, for sure. I think about I think- what were your friend groups like when you were when you were young? Yeah. So um I was a, you know, I kind of latched on to the right people, if that makes sense, like very early on in in life, um, you know, for good and for bad. You know, I think girls, I, I love having a daughter, but it makes me so terrified for the years that she's going to be bullied and who's mad at who and, you know, for, for stupid reasons or, um, you know, you wore the wrong thing. And it just makes me, you know, it makes me happy that I've gone through some of those experiences for now in motherhood that I can help guide her because I've been there. But during it, it I mean, it was a, it's a terrible time when you're, you know, the one that's left out, you know, and you kind of, you know, have this mean girl mentality for sure that you don't want to be the one on the outside, but when you, and when you are, you know, cause it's terrible. And so I think because I was very much felt the need to have, you know, so, so close of female relationships that, when they were, you know, in that mean girl age of, you know, between the ages of, you know, seventh grade or eighth grade, um, I took it a lot harder because of that. I developed really good friendships. Some of my best friends, you know, still to this day, I kind of met really young and they are the best people in the world, but we went through that all kind of together and we were mean to each other. I mean, we'll probably sit back and laugh at it now, but, you know, I was definitely going through the the awkward girl phase just a little bit later, you know, I entered high school with braces and I didn't have a straightener. I mean, I definitely don't look like the 12 year olds now, you know, (laughs) just trying to figure out style and, and all of that. When I went to high school, you know, the high school that I went to was very intimidating. You know, I kind of joke that it's like, it was what high school movies are, you know, made teen movies are made about. It was just an intimidating high school. I think, you know, being so close to 
to New York and having it be kind of a, from an affluent area, um, it was a little bit of a struggle, you know, to, to kind of, or it was just more intimidating because you see these girls that feel like they look so much older or they are so much older. They're getting so much more attention from, you know, the senior boys or whatever it is. And I felt like I really struggled with that because I never felt like, you know, I didn't, I lacked a lot of confidence. I feel like in, in my beginning years and going into high school, just because I felt like I was a little bit more awkward and probably because I lacked a lot of confidence within that, I, you know, it showed, I'm sure. But I think, you know, looking back on it, I definitely you always think that it, you're worse than you are when you're actually in it. So I definitely feel like I wish I had the more confidence because I didn't have anything to to lack confidence in. I can so connect with what you're saying. I I definitely I felt similar, you know, in high school. I always felt like I was in the popular groups in a way, but I was sort of peripheral. Like I wasn't the girl in the spotlight. I wasn't the girl getting all the boys' attention. I was not on the outside, you know, but I wasn't like on right. the inner circle, which is almost like a, such a weird place to be because I really wanted to be in the spotlight and I didn't really see, I think I was so focused on, you know, what other people were thinking and who was who. So focused on all of that, that I couldn't even really see my own strengths at the time. That coupled with like, I was like a late bloomer. I grew like, you know, four or five inches in high school. So it was just like not comfortable in my body yet. I think I entered high school with braces too. It was just that kind of process. I was just not at home in myself for probably the majority of high school, if I'm being honest. So I can really relate to that. And I think that there, especially now with everything on the internet and stuff, there's such a pressure to be like, oh, boom, confidence, just have it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you should have a profile and out, like just there's such an emphasis on showing off what you have I guess and it was there then too in a way but I think that it's fun to kind of explore confidence as not necessarily something you turn on on or off but like a just a interest and exploration of who you are and how you're changing I feel like it also probably might feel the same way of like the midwestern values you know I probably felt a little bit too like you know I'm seeing some of my girlfriends you know and either doing different things, you know, and I kind of always, they called me, you know, they called me C-Biz because I was always so business-like, you know, because I was always like the good girl, I feel like, you know, and, and I think, you know, now there's some of my strengths, but I think I was always a little bit more of like the good one as well. I mean, you know, so I think that definitely um, contributed to feeling a little bit more of like an outcast, you know, when, when looking back on it, it was probably more of a strength than feeling like I was, you know, the one doing all of the dangerous things necessarily. How did you kind of think about college at that time? It sounds like, you know, your sisters also went to college. So it sounds like something that you never like questioned that you were going to go to college. But how, how did you kind of think about it? And what did you want out of your college experience before you applied? Yeah, so I applied to colleges. I wanted the big rah-rah school, you know, experience. I applied to Penn State and Purdue. And, you know, I, I looked out in California just because I've always been so drawn to California. It's kind of one of the reasons as to why I'm out here now, you know, and so I really wanted that feeling of big school and camaraderie. I wanted to celebrate and, you know, in my college. And so um, my sister 
she went to James Madison University, which is, you know, I kind of saw firsthand the experience that she had. And it had definitely that raw, raw feel, but also a smaller wholesomeness to it. And I think I also liked the comfort of seeing what I was getting into. You know, there was not much risk in going and, you know, being the first to experience it and absolutely hate it, for instance. So I definitely followed in her footsteps there. And um, and I absolutely, you know, loved the decision that I made. But, you know, for me, I, I also coupled it with, you know, what I wanted to do in, in life. And, um, you know, I had weeded out my my decision to kind of move on from fashion, for instance. You know, I mean, I I would attend uh, FIT in my summers when I was uh, in high school and found that it was extremely cutthroat and, you know, knew that I wanted to maybe a career in something creative, but maybe that fashion design specifically was not it. I just felt like, you know, I got a good taste of what I didn't want out of that part of the the industry. Um, and so I kind of set my, my sights on something different going into, you know, marketing or PR for for fashion or for event planning. And so, um, Jamie had a really good uh, hospitality and tourism program and, and business school. So I kind of set my sights on, you know, what I eventually wanted to do in life. So that's kind of how I narrowed it down. That's such a good point you're making about, um, you know, because I, I think when we are young, we envision careers and it's almost like for every industry, when you're thinking of it and you're not in it yet or exploring it, you think like when you think fashion, it's like fashion designer. And that's the job you think about in fashion, you know, and when mm-hmm. in reality, in every industry, whether it's fashion or sports or food or, you know, all these different bazillion industries out there. There's, yes, the one job you think about, like, oh, doctor at the hospital. You could also be a hospital in hospital management. You could be in hospital development. You could be in, you know, in fashion, there's PR, there's fashion marketing, there's fashion finance. There's so many different uh, ways you could still be in an industry without having the one job that maybe you saw in like a, you know, our first career books when we were young. Um, (laughs) Well, exactly. I mean, I think you know, I saw, I saw Vogue when I was younger. I mean, and I, I just loved the way that creativity could come through and through fashion. You know, I mean, I was probably the only nine-year-old that could name, you know, all of the designers that I saw and, you know, or I could look at somebody's outfit and understand, you know, what skirt was she wearing? Which bag is that just by the the shape of it or the, you know, the, um, the texture that it is. So I kind of always loved the creativity piece of it. And so that's why I, you know, went to FIT so that I could marry my love of that, but also withdrawing. And I think that it was kind of more the first time where I was like, this is not the vibe I'm going for is just, you know, you have to be extremely good in order to be successful in being a fashion designer specifically. And I just didn't love some of the people who were in my class, you know, and I'm like, is this is going to be my circle. I don't necessarily want this. And so I'm so glad that I tried it and I knew what I liked and what I didn't like. And I think that that really led me to internships and finding out what I loved from each single one, what I didn't like and kind of to, you know, you try so many different things. It really narrows you into what you do want to do in life. And I think that was my biggest takeaway for that part of trying to find what it is that I I like and from every job after that as well, you know? And so that's how I started out in fashion and ended up in ad tech sales. So (laughs) it's very, very different. So your, your fashion jobs that you had were in um, like PR and events, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when was that? Was that during college, before college or after? 
Um, so it was during college. I, um, I had, uh, internships, free internships. Those were a thing back in the day. You just essentially were doing it for the experience. (laughs) Now I think you can get more college credit or you have to legally get paid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was at, um, PR firms that handled, you know, some of the, you know, large brands in both LA or they handled talent. And then, you know, from there I applied to an internship at Zaxx and miraculously I got a, an internship at Zaxx and that, I absolutely loved. Um, it was, you know, I had a phenomenal boss who became like a mentor to me and essentially my summer project, I'm going to date myself, but she was like, figure out this social media thing. Um, and so it was like really my job to, you know, kind of make connections with the bloggers at the time and do polls for them. And so for instance, if they were doing some blog post on, you know, resort wear, and I would go into Saks and pick out those pieces for resort wear that they would then put on their blog and kind of, you know, it was the beginning of social media. So that I found to be really, really fun. And I always, you know, I kept in connection with her and I think it really placed the value of having that mentor one, um, but also just the value of the relationship because when she moved, then she moved to Bergdorf Goodman and that's where I had my first job. Um, so if you're not familiar with Bergdorf Goodman, just cause there's only one of them, it's kind of the crown jewel of Neiman Marcus. So I felt like when I was graduating college, you know, starting my career off at kind of like the top of the kind of the the fashion department store within New York City was something that I feel like I I really worked towards to get there. And um, it was a great experience for for all of the good and the bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that story too, because even though, you know, maybe the unpaid internship isn't quite so legal anymore, I think there is a lot of truth in that experience of, you know, where you start isn't necessarily where you're going to be going in a few years. But if you start somewhere and you apply yourself, you never know who's going to be watching you or taking a liking to you or seeing the way that you're working and might open a door for you later. I think just like really leaning into the relationships and people who take you under their wing, that that's usually, I feel like, I remember when I first started thinking about like, okay, what does applying for jobs look like? And, you know, you go on the career websites and LinkedIn and all the places that have the job descriptions. And you're just like, oh, like that's the job I want. I don't have any of the qualifications for it. So it's like, I I guess I just can't do that job, you know? Um, And then really realizing that it's like, I can get there, but like, I have to get an in somehow um, Mm -hmm. and I have to get my feet wet. And it might not be the most glamorous start, especially in an industry like fashion, marketing, or, you know, advertising in general you know, the first step in the door probably isn't going to be, it's not going to feel like, oh yeah, this is like, I'm doing the thing I've always wanted to do, but leaning into those relationships and, you know, obviously seeing them pay off for you. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, you know, you have to do all jobs to understand it. You know, I think you have to, you do have to kind of start out at the bottom to appreciate the top because, you know, you then can understand what the person, you know, below you, you know, once you get promoted, you can understand what the person below you has gone through and kind of, you know, their tenacity and if they're willing to do all of the the things. And there's definitely times when you're like, this is not what I want to be doing, you know, but you can kind of look back and say, okay, I've, I've been in your shoes. I, I know what you're going through, you know, and kind of appreciate the top more when you can look down and say, you know, I was there, I know what you're going through, or I know how much effort that that takes for sure whether it was free or, or, or not, I think it was definitely building off of the experience. And that to me has been invaluable because it led me to where 
I wanted to go. I always say to people, try try everything. Like, you know, don't necessarily quit, finish it. But at least if you've tried it, it just adds a little bit more to your resume or what you want to do. But it also gives you the experience and you will take away something from it, you know, whether it's good or bad for sure. And I think, you know, that's definitely what what fashion and PR was for me was I found, again, you know, the things that I really loved and the things that I I didn't love so much, whether that be you know people that I worked with or worked for or, you know, the industry in general. I think it it shed so much light on something I idolized for so, so long. But I think now I had to experience it and see it for me to essentially say, okay, I'm okay to walk away from this because this isn't necessarily what I want. And maybe I'll try something and use my creativity in another way or use something else that I'm passionate or I know that I'm good at just in a different way. And so that for me, I felt like I at least accomplished what I wanted to do. And I learned something from it that made me, you know, allow myself to move on. I love that point. And like just the the self-awareness to kind of see like, you know, I can do the things that I'm liking about this. I can like flex those muscles, but I can do them in a different setting. You know, this isn't only me having to kind of shift or wanting to shift and try something new isn't starting over. You know, it's just kind of changing your backdrop in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, So during that time, you're working at Bergdorf Goodman. You're living in New York City, I presume, at the time Mm -hmm. after after college. So what was that like? How was your confidence, um, would you say, like around that time and as you were kind of navigating your next steps? I mean, New York City in your 20s is like the best place on earth. Like all of my friends then moved, you know, they were all back from college and I kind of reconnected with a lot of my girlfriends from from high school that were moving into the city. And so, you know, that time in life, it's, it was just fun. You know, you're, you're living with four roommates in a small apartment, you know, but everyone is kind of doing it all at the same time. And so, you know, it definitely, it was a different living on the outskirts and in, you know, the suburbs of New York city is so different than living in it itself. And so it was definitely a very, a very fun time. And I think, you know, me with all of my friends kind of all navigating our careers, was definitely eye-opening, but New York City, I think with the things that it gives you is definitely a good work ethic. You know, you're surrounded by some of the the most hardworking, you know, um, experienced or talented people, I think, in the world. And I think that is so interesting just in terms of the people that you meet are so different from one another. They have so many backgrounds. You can, you know, walk around and have a random conversation with somebody and you learn something completely different from, you know, the place that you're from or the, you know, way that you grew up or the job that is completely different than yours. And I think it's just led to so many interesting interactions. But yeah, New York in your 20s is very fun. (laughs) As you realized you were going to make a change, what were your next like couple stops in your career and what were your takeaways from them? Yeah. So, um, after working at, at Bergdorf's, you know, I, uh, I wanted someplace that, you know, had more of a young culture that I felt like I could make more of an, of a difference. And I've always been very creative. And so I, um, I always had kind of leaned back to when I was in college, I had gone to, you know, it's probably one of the only people that took their career, um, staff or career coaching in college, you know, kind of seriously. And they, you know, were like everything that you love to do, it would really, you know, lend itself really well to advertising. And so my sister had a, a connection at the time at, um, at a big uh, agency. And I started working for the agency that covers uh, Johnson and Johnson. So a lot of Johnson and Johnson brands like AccuView and Band-Aid, Clean and Clear, um, even their pharmaceuticals. So 
I went to Johnson and Johnson after that and worked in their advertising agency and loved it. You know, it's very young culture, but you work, you know, 12 to 20 hour days. And, you know, when you do your salary divided by the amount of hours that you work, it's very, very minimal, but it led for great experience. I say like, if you could be at an advertising agency for three years, you gain, you know, 12 years of experience just because, you know, you learn so, so much. And so at that job, I was helping build the content and branding around um, Johnson and Johnson's advertising and their commercials and their custom campaigns. And so it was a really good experience overall of understanding how an entire industry works, you know, from media planning and buying to, you know, the, the content creation and commercials to PR and social. And, and so, you know, kind of having all of that under one roof and under one job was really a good experience. So, you know, and I think that, you know, with it, I've, I also learned, you know, within these two jobs that I kind of came out of college with, you know, definitely learned, I had different varying bosses, you know, good and bad. And I think I saw a lot of the ways to act as a manager, but also the ways, you know, not to act as a manager or how to treat other people, for instance, you know, I mean, it was the first time that I was, you know, really in charge of the clients themselves. And so, you know, that whole dynamic of a relationship as well as, you know, how, um, you know, you should, you should kind of conduct yourself in, you know, more of a, of, of a client setting, but it was also good you know, between the two jobs, I don't want to necessarily, you know, um, to downplay it, but, you know, it was, I had a lot of female bosses and I think that, you know, now I, it's kind of taught me the way not to, to conduct yourself as, as bosses as well. And so I think that taking the learnings from that, you know, you have to kind of go through bad experiences too. And I think to lead, you don't have to be, you can lead in a different way. Yeah. You know, I've had conversations with women who have worked in a variety of corporate settings who are around, you know, in our, our age group and demographic. And I've heard uh, quite a bit that, you know, you can have, there are some really phenomenal women, like the woman that kind of brought you up to Bergdorf that really like took you under her wing and created an opportunity for you. But I also think that the generation above us, there are some women that I think it's a product of having to really like fight tooth and nail for their positions and being probably one of the only women in the room in certain career paths. I feel like the operation then as managers sometimes is like a coming from a scarcity mentality, if that makes any sense, that just doesn't necessarily create opportunity in their wake. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. experienced this in finance for sure at a time. And, and now I look back and I'm like, I can, I can kind of understand it with like compassion because I think that women, we just era over era over generation, like there's always some new kind of frontier for us to have to um, navigate. But but yeah, you can definitely be, there's a lot of different ways that you can manage people and the stereotypical like bad boss one isn't necessarily the most effective. I fully agree. And I mean, especially coming from, you know, you come from, you know, a background of finance, but, you know, and, and even modeling too, you know, where I feel like you kind of have to speak your voice, um, you know, and I think that you're completely right is that, and I think that there's a big, a big misconception. And I think now we've kind of hopefully corrected that, at least I try and correct it in my career, you know, with some of my team as well is that, you know, you don't have to be the nastiest person in the room to get the most attention. You know, you don't have to necessarily you know, there's different ways to make yourself heard for sure. And that doesn't mean, you know, by belittling or making a a wake of, you know, those below you because they're the people who should really, you know, you should be mentoring and, 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 
fostering their career growth. Um, so yeah, I fully, I fully agree with that. So you're in a position now where you're managing other people. Are there certain um, kind of ideas, mantras, characteristics that you really try to emanate as a leader? Um, and where did you kind of get those from, if so? Yeah, so I was very fortunate to have a phenomenal mentor um, when I moved into away from, you know, advertising and the agency into to sales. And um, so I feel like I have learned a lot of kind of, you know, those, the, 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 the managers and the bosses that I'd had in the past who kind of gave me this bad taste in my mouth was completely flipped when I found somebody who actually took, you know, me under their wing and, and made me feel as if I was their protege, even though I knew nothing at all. And I feel like, you know, things that, that he had taught me or still teaches me because he's still, I still work with him, um, is more of the, you know, the understanding, you know, you, in order to, to lead, you really have to listen and you have to trust and believe in people. And, you know, you can definitely lead, you know, without an iron fist. That's, you know, not the, necessarily the way you have just compassion and connection with people. And I think that when you can understand where somebody is coming from, if you just understand, for instance, their family life, or if they've had a bad week, you know, you're a lot more sympathetic if, you know, they might need to take off, for instance, or if they've had a bad quarter or what it might be, you know, it's just understanding that the human first, I feel like leads to such a better work relationship. And, you know, that's why I feel like the whole remote work for me was extremely difficult because I'm such a relationship person and not being able to have those experiences outside of just meetings and being able to grab a drink with somebody or coffee or, you know, go on a work trip with them, I think is so valuable to me because I get to know that person fully, not just who they are as a seller or as, you know, insert job here. But, um, you know, so for me, I feel like it's, you know, kind of more leading with compassion and um, leading with understanding and raising that person up is definitely, you know, you can be a mentor and you can guide them, but you don't have to necessarily be condescending or belittling or, you know, ignoring kind of who they are as a person overall. So that's what I try and lead with is being, you know, more of a personable manager for sure. And I think, you know, people are going to, you know, if they're motivated, they're going to, they're going to want to do their jobs. And if they like working for you, just like I've loved working for my mentors is that they're going to want to do good for you because, you know, they don't want to let you down. And I think that's the biggest motivator. And it's the number one reason why people stay or leave is because of their bosses. And if they like to work for you, then they're going to want to stay and they're going to want to do well. Totally. I love how you're describing this too, because I think that when people hear the word sales, and they're like, oh, would I be a good salesperson? There's kind of an ick that comes along with the word sales where it's like, oh, you're making people buy something, you know, and it's from what I've found. I mean, there's so many different careers where sales is an element. You know, my experience in real estate has been one for sure. And going into it, I was like, I don't know if I'm a natural salesperson, but the great salespeople that I've met really have no they don't have that ick to them at all. It's it's more of that combination of what you were describing when, you know, your dad saw this persistence in you and the ability to kind of keep a deal on the tracks um, and bring it back, bring it back, you know, back to where it needs to go until it's it's completed. A combination of that and really just a, a deep interest in understanding people and what makes them tick and their motivations and how you can kind of put those things together 
you know, the motivation, but then also everything it takes to, to make a deal happen. And I think that's very different from what people kind of think of from like the salesmen in the movies. You can be very successful in sales without having any sort of, it's actually the opposite. You're not making people do something they don't want to do. You're, you're helping them and understanding them deeply and, and giving them a path to what they ultimately want. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of, you know, what we call them used car salesmen. Like yeah. you get the vibe that they are just here. You know, they're not, they're not there for your best interest. But I think the thing that I, I really love about sales is that, you know, you can help people, right? Like I'm not going to lead you into something that I don't genuinely, my heart of hearts feels like it's going to be a good deal for you. And it's relationship-based. And that for me is, was the number one driver for why I like sales. Cause I, you know, yes, sometimes it's, it's a game. Like, yes, you want to, you know, get your sales as big as they, as they can. And that's an accomplishment. But I think the, the people that I see that are the most successful in that just genuinely take an interest in their clients is that, you know, they ask them how their weekends were, or, you know, they remember their birthdays, you know I mean? And they're not going to guide them. And you're more of a, of a liaison and a partner than you are just, you know, I want to get this deal in. Cause I feel like the people who do that and they look so short term and don't look at that long-term view, that long-term relationship are those that, you know, you feel like you're being hustled and you're being sold to. And it's really more about relationship building than anything else. Can you kind of paint the picture of what your day-to-day looks like in your, in your job and exactly what your company does? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, I, I just gave it earlier and then I'm like, I'm sure yeah. right over a lot of people's heads. Um, so we'll break it down in, in layman's terms as much as you can. Yes. So I oversee a sales team for um, an ad tech platform. So ad tech essentially is advertising technology. We help power the technology behind the advertisements that you see, whether it be on your TV or your phone or digital out of home. So Essentially, a brand wants to ensure that the person that they're targeting is the correct person. And so we have the technology that understands where consumers go offline. So where you go throughout your day to day, the types of purchases that you make, um, the demographics that you are so that when an advertiser is looking to run a media campaign or purchase advertising, it's getting directed towards the correct person. So an example of this is like, Pampers. If you want to target, you know, you want to target young moms or young parents who have, you know, children who are within diapers. If you're targeting somebody or if you're reaching a male who is 25 and single bachelor, you know, that is a wasted budget for you. So our company essentially helps or this industry helps to understand, you know, who you should be reaching. And then we help serve those types of advertisements to the consumer. Where are you guys getting that data specifically? Are there tools? I mean, I know that like literally everything is is listening and tracking and cookies <laughs> and all the things. I um, still get freaked out when my phone gives me an ad when I'm talking about it. So. Right? It's like I get freaked out and I'm like, actually, no, I'm I want to buy that. <laughs> so I'm like, it's, it's I know. I, 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 I feel like actually things. yes. Yeah, people are like, oh, where'd exactly. you get that? I'm like, oh, it was an Instagram ad, <laughs> you know. But <laughs> hey, you know, it was a win-win in a lot of ways because you know it's about connecting markets, right? But yeah, like, what is it um, on the back end for? for you. So essentially that there is a, a lot of the data comes from your mobile device to understand where you go on the offline world. So there's a thing called a, like a device ID. So the, uh, this is going to sound very big brother. So nobody <laughs> hate me for this, um, is that there is an, uh, 
there's essentially a piece of code that sits on the back of all of your apps that understands, you know, where you go in the physical world. It has nothing to do with your personal information. Nobody knows your name or your address or your telephone number or what you're chatting with to your best friend or the photos that are on your phone. There's another company, I'm sure, like that does that, but it is not this, you know, this one. But essentially, it just tracks kind of where you go and the, the the physical location that you are based off of a lat long. So I know that you know I'm sitting in this house in Orange County, for instance right now and then I'm going to go to Whole Foods later and that I might go to, you know, um, this workout studio or whatnot. And so by collecting that, you can track the type of person that somebody is. So you can understand, you know, where they shop, what are their behaviors? So we work with a lot of clients like within the QSR space or retail to understand, you know, I want to reach my customers. I just don't know who they necessarily are, but through our technology, we can understand you know, that person we know is either a loyalist or that they're going to your competitor and serve them a different message based off of that. Totally. And even like helping someone, say you're starting to make it feel less big brothery, you know, you're starting a a candle company and you're like, I think that my primary customer is, you know, so-and-so could you, could you also help someone gather like, okay, this is, this is where you should be selling. Should you be more like, e-commerce or should you have like a a physical store in this place because these women from this age to this age all happen to live in this neighborhood you know and they'd really buy that (laughs) can you get like that granular with in terms of um like advice yeah yeah so we we, a lot of the times we help brands in their pre-planning phases you know understanding where it's they um, where they should be spending their media, where they should be placing new stores, you know, the peaks of when people are, you know, visiting their stores or their competitors. So we have a whole platform that essentially can can help understand, you know, make smarter marketing decisions. It's not as big brother as as it sounds, yeah. you know, every, a lot of people are doing it. But, you know, I think people sometimes can get freaked out and they want to turn off all their location services. But, um, you know, it's a little bit of a necessary evil, especially if you you know don't want to just be targeted rogue ads. So um yeah it's an industry that personally i never really knew fully existed even when i was in advertising i i didn't know too much about it there's thousands of acronyms and i feel like even you know my first day at you know the company i was previously at and um, my first day as a seller my boss even you know now will say you know you knew nothing <laughs> you know you were very very junior and um you know so there to the point of we were making before like there's just so many different avenues out there for things that you know you might find interesting and i personally i like this because it kind of marries that idea of of helping people and making smarter decisions and it's a lot of relationship based and you know it, it kind of marries advertising and, and advertising um you know, in unique ways. And so we, you know, we help some of the world's largest brands from Sephora to Burger King to KFC or Nordstrom. And so it's kind of fun that you get to work with all these different brands. It's not just necessarily, you know, a one, one track. Totally. I implied it earlier, but you are, you're also, you're a working mom and you're a very good and involved mom at that. When you're managing your career, the way that you do, it involves a lot of travel you know, but you also find a way to really prioritize motherhood. In what ways do you feel kind of supported in balancing that work-life-mom relationship? And where do you think that there are kind of holes for women like you? 
it's definitely changed the the conversation around work has definitely changed even from you know from me seeing my mom as a stay-at-home mom and all of the amazing pieces that come along with that you know and she was always there when I got home I was always she was always reliant and then I kind of saw the the other flip side of you know my dad who was constantly working or he was constantly traveling but at least I always had some sort of a consistency and so I think that you know what's hard for our generation is that, you know, we kind of had those role models or we had a lot more stay at home moms. And now it's kind of the, you have to work a lot of the times, you know, I mean, families need dual incomes in order to just kind of, you know, live or live with a certain lifestyle that they want. I know for, you know, for our family, it's, we want a certain lifestyle and we want to live in a certain place or go on certain vacations and buy certain things. Then we both have to work. And that's kind of the necessary, you know, the necessary evil of it. But you know, I think it also makes it much harder because we still have that mentality. At least I still have that mentality of I need to be the stay at home mom, but I also then need to be the working dad that travels all that, you know, from my perspective of how I grew up, I see that I feel the need to kind of be both. And that is definitely a struggle. And I feel like when I, you know, I'm on the road, I'm traveling, I travel at least one week out of every single month. I miss my daughter so, so much. And I, I wonder how it's kind of affecting her overall. You know, is she going to look at me as being, this is a strong mom who I know is working and I look up to her or is it going to be, you know, oh, mommy was never there, you know? And I think that you feel a lot of mom guilt. For me, the way that I kind of make it best is that, you know, I have a really supportive partner who, when I leave, you know, I feel very comfortable with leaving him and knowing that he's got the the house taken care of. You know, I know that she's going to be wearing you know, zebra pants and an I Heart New York shirt and her hair is going to be all crazy and she's probably eating chicken nuggets, you know, but she is happy and alive. And, you know, you kind of just have to, to have that teamwork for sure. And I think that for me, you know, the way that I deal with, you know, kind of it is just making sure that I stay connected when I am home, when I am here, it's, I do the drop-offs still. I do the pickups. I Today, for instance, I was the special reader at school or on weekends. Like I am shut off and I'm my phone is down and I'm paying attention to her so that she doesn't feel that I'm constantly distracted because, you know, you kind of have to make up for those periods where you feel the mom guilt that you're, you know, constantly working or constantly traveling because it, it can be a toll. Absolutely. Someone gave me the advice at one point where it's just like, if you're trying to work, but also kind of have that, you know, super present parent mentality, it's like you just have to be wherever you're choosing to be at any given moment, be all there, you know, instead Mm -hmm. of being half in, like you got to do a lot of planning, like as I think all moms do, whether you're working or not, we have to do a lot of planning, but it's like, once you've made your plan, just commit to it, you know, and if you've made time to take your kid to dance class, like be there, get off your phone, watch your kid. You know, and like mm-hmm. everything can wait an hour, you know, most things. But then when you're when you're working, like try to kind of it's hard, I think, especially with young children. But, it, you know, just be where you are when you're there. It seems like really simple advice and it's much easier said than done. But I think there are there's just a lot of um, you get pulled in a lot of different directions. And I think even navigating kind of the tension between wanting to make all your children's dreams come true while also being an example for them by making your own dreams come true is a lot. It's like a, it's a fun, funny balance that it's been a joy to be kind of in the middle of with you. Yeah. I I feel like too, it's also life is fluid, right? I mean, it's, it's that for me personally, 
I love working with other moms as well. I mean, I think that you kind of, sometimes you do have to do both. Like one of my sellers who is a very close friend, you know, she will have her kids in the bathtub or, you know, or, or wiping them while we're having a conversation about work. And I think, you know, to the point of you like, yes, to be present. I fully agree with that. Like when you've dedicated your space and your energy towards something, especially with your, you know, your child, but at the same time, we're all people. And I think that I personally like working with other women, especially working moms, because we kind of get it. We know how to multitask. We know that life happens and even working dads, I mean, especially with the pandemic and, you know, people are working from home more life happens and life is in the background all the time. And I think that, you know, it's okay with also understanding that there can be boundaries, you know, it's like, okay, my kids are home now, you know, okay. Or your kids are home now, you, you know, go. And I think, I think that as a, as a personally, the way that I like to manage as well as understanding again, like that people are people and people have a home life and that I'm not expecting you to be answering my emails at eight o'clock at night. It just means when I had time to write that email, but please don't respond until, you know, you have the moment to do that. And I think the more that we can kind of shift away from that mentality of, you know, you need to be in here nine to five. So I could see the whites of your eyes just because, you know, I hate that mentality, this whole, like going back to work, I get, you know, in person, I, I get it because it can be super productive and being present is key. But I think that, you know, people also have life going on. And I think that there can be a balance of both. Totally. I think that's such good advice. Well, I feel like we could just sit here for hours and we have <laughs> um, in other settings um, and we'll continue to do so. But for purposes of our podcast, I'd love to kind of shift into, we do like five questions. It'll be sort of random, um, but just answer however, whatever comes to mind first. So we'll do that and then kind of round out our, our night. For number one, do you have a morning routine? I do. What time it starts is variable based off of when Isla comes into my bed. <laughs> um, but usually I like to get up. I get up at like 5, 5.30 and just kind of sit downstairs, like have my cup of coffee. I open, you know, my planner for the day or I open my computer and I just kind of create like I'm all about the list. So creating a list of both my personal stuff, my work stuff, you know, for me, I have to have a little bit of just me time in the morning to get my head cleared. I wish I could say that I was meditating and, you know, doing yoga or something like that. I mean, that's very few and far between, but for the most part, it's just kind of getting organized for the day and getting my head straight. So when I hear the little feet come down the stairs, then I can fully be present for her because I feel like I've already gotten a jump on my day. Totally. I feel like it doesn't always happen because sometimes those little angels like to wake up before <laughs> my, like, my plan time. But even just like, sometimes it just looks like just getting my cup of coffee into my system and staring at a wall for like three minutes, <laughs> but just like turning my system on sometimes before the rest of the day can kind of come at me, I think is, is enough of a routine sometimes too. Number two, you've had a lot of mentors, you've worked under people, you've worked managing a team. What is the best piece of advice you've been given along the way? Oh, good question. You know, it's not necessarily a mentor, but I think, I mean, to some way it is, but I feel like, you know, I really, in my adult life, you know, not so, probably so much growing up, but I feel like I, in my adult life, I really value and, and appreciate my dad more for his business acumen and, you know, what he's kind of establishing in them as, of himself. And I think, you know, just going back to that, like find something that you love um, and it will kind of lead the way. I think getting closer to the center of your dartboard is always what he would say to me. And I think 
that would be my biggest piece of advice I would give to those that I hope to mentor, you know, and, or I do mentor is just try everything, you know, never burn a bridge for sure. I mean, the world is so small and you never know when that's going to essentially come back to bite you. I mean, especially even in advertising, it's just so big, but everyone knows one another. And so as long as you can have a reputation that you can respect and be proud of, then you never have to, you never really have to worry. I love that. I love the dartboard visual too. It's really like operating from your center, you know, what's kind of true to you and what you can confidently stand behind. So good. Mm -hmm. For number three, what would you say your biggest area of struggle was for you as a teen and how do you see it now? I would say confidence for sure. I think, you know, I was not fully confident in and of myself. And I think it took me a lot more of life experience and, you know, maybe leaving my, my comfort zone a lot more to, to build that confidence up. I think once I kind of got out of my bubble for, for instance, you know, went to college you know, outside of the New Jersey, New York area, I kind of saw my strengths differently. And I think I saw the things that I was really proud of in and of myself. And that's when I feel like I started to to kind of thrive was when I built the confidence up in myself. I love that you mentioned too, that it was like your confidence started building once you got outside your comfort zone. You know, I think it's easy, especially as, as young women, we think that like, oh, I feel most confident when I'm like comfortable and I know exactly what's coming and, you know, I'm in my little bubble of friends and this is where I feel confident. But I think it is so true. The more instances you can give yourself to be outside your comfort zone and see that you can you can survive and make it and thrive through being mm-hmm. uncomfortable, the more confidence you can build. I love that. Yeah. Number four, what does the perfect day look like for you? Oh, sleeping in and no. out. <laughs> um, sleeping period. <laughs> yeah, getting a, getting a good night's sleep, sprawled out like a starfish, um, you know, without yes. a dog and a husband and a toddler in my bed. The perfect day, I mean, I think it would just be, you know, it would be spent with family for sure. I don't live near family now. So for me, I think anytime that I can be near my parents or my sister or my extended family or my husband's family to me, it's just like, I soak that in so, so much because it's so important to me and to my husband. So I think, you know, just spending time with my daughter and my husband and my extended family is kind of my, my perfect day. I love it. Number five, what are you most looking forward to? I am looking forward to, to Christmas right now um, for, for my daughter. She's three, so she is very much in the, you know, Santa and all of that kind of fun stuff. And I feel like being a parent, you kind of revisit your childhood. So, you know, I'm definitely, I'm interested to see how this holiday season is going to, to play out. But, you know, I think just in life, I'm hoping for more kids. I'm hoping to grow our family. I'm looking forward to kind of what, you know, my career has for me and just looking forward to the next, you know, couple of years. Cause I feel like this is a very pivotal time and and change in in life. So I'm looking forward to it. A lot of life happening right now. I love it. Well, we always end with one question. I feel like I've been trying to figure out a better way to word it. I'm like, we got an interesting (laughs) going. But the gist of it is what was a quality that you had as a young person, as a child, um, that maybe you didn't appreciate then, but looking back on, you fully embrace? Oh, good question probably more of my um, ability to listen to my instinct. You know, I think having, you know, the values that I was instilled with, I think always, 
you know, made me feel maybe a little bit more of the timid one or the one that, you know, but didn't fully feel comfortable. But I, you know, having that now and listening to myself and listening to my gut is definitely something that I find leads me in the right direction, whether it be, you know, the reputation that I leave behind or just knowing that I can do the right things and that I'm proud of kind of that decision in myself is that always going with my always going with my gut is definitely something I feel like I didn't necessarily listen to all the time when I was younger, but I'm, I'm glad that I've developed that voice for myself. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I can't wait for our community to meet you. And if they do want to get in touch with you or learn more about your company, what's the best way for someone to find you? Yes. So um, my company is Locala. You can find me at caitlin.carry at asklocala.com or my social media. I I don't have that big of a following, but you know, um, you can help me grow those numbers at uh, at Kate Carry. Love it. So good. Well, thank you so much, Caitlin. I will probably see you at the smoothie store this weekend, (laughs) (laughs) if not sometime soon. Um, But thank you for your time and we'll talk again soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. I love being on your show. Thanks so much. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?